the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero carbon. East off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter. I'm Ian Collins. This is episode 18 on our eco journey through the issues that are dominating more headlines today than at any other time in our history. The one thing we always hope, almost pray for, frankly, are that the powers that be crammed in those opulent offices in Westminster might just be listening and adopt at least a nugget of the wisdom that's regularly thrown out from this podcast. If you're unaware of what we do, here's a brief explainer. This series is all about the views, campaigns and inner thoughts of one man, Dale Vince. The entrepreneur and environmentalist built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company. He's also the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. Can we just start, if we could, Dale, on the football thing? Um, Done and dusted for this season, of course. Um, We spoke about this in previous episodes. But what's the latest with the stadium? Because we've had a lot of emails and, and people saying, you know, it looks great. They've looked at the plans. Everything seems to go ahead. We know you had a little bit of jip from local authorities and certain politicians. But what's the what's the deal at the moment? Where are we? Yeah, we had a run in with the uh, Secretary of State, Robert Jenrick, the one that's in all that trouble now for supporting um was it Richard Desmond, the uh, the ex-porn baron's massive yeah. redevelopment in London? He, he rushed it through and then uh, then admitted he'd acted unlawfully. So uh, that guy toyed with the idea of calling our application in just after the election and sat on it for four months and then decided that he wouldn't. Uh, that cleared the way for the council, Stroud Council, to agree with us the legal agreement, which we've done. And now we're just days away from agreeing one with the county council. When that's done... We'll be holding the piece of paper that is planning permission for the stadium, uh, which is fantastic. And then we can get into detailed design work with the architects for the Mm. stadium. We've got some other obstacles to overcome as well. We're going to work with the council on a master plan for the site, for the local plan, which goes to inquiry next year. Uh, This means the Green Tech Business Park is coming back as well, the 4,000-job business park that we originally proposed. And last week, we submitted a planning application for two training pitches for uh, Forest Green on the site. That's just the beginning of what will be a training complex. But we hope to start building those soon so that we can be doing a bit of training on them next spring. It's kind of strange, isn't it? When you, yeah, when I was sort of reading through, and we, we've discussed it a number of times, what the, the, the kind of idea behind this is, in addition to football, you mentioned the business park and the whole green veneer um, and, and detail and everything that goes with this. You know, once in a while, you'll read one of those stories, you know, I don't know, in the Daily Mail of a, <laughs> um, of a celebrity who wants to build a fairground in their garden. They whinge because they didn't get planning permission. You think, well, I can kind of see why you didn't get planning permission. A Ferris wheel going around the estate probably isn't a good look. Something like this, you, you do scratch your head and think what is the point where somebody looks at that and says that's not a good idea you know the whole thing it took five years actually to get the decision which is an incredibly long amount of time the land itself wasn't in the local plan for employment use so we understood that was an issue so we took that away and left the stadium and they don't need to be in the local plan but it still took five years and we just had some opposition um, as you get you know from uh, from the local uh, parish I mean you expect that but then um, everything else is just a bit hard to explain. I think the county council uh, were incredibly slow on the traffic side. 
uh, the whole thing has just been like walking through treacle. But look, we're we're here now, and and I do I do find have found that uh, when you're doing something groundbreaking, it, it just takes a very long time. Anything that challenges the kind of normal way of thinking or is a little bit outside of the box, it, yeah. it's just harder work. Uh, but that's and okay. And, well, they love putting things on hold, don't they? I, I kind of think they have a sort of big wheel of fortune wheel there where they just kind of spin it and say, how long should, should we put it on hold for? And then it goes round and it stops at a year. They go, That'll do for us. We'll, we'll put it on hold for a year. We'll come back to this. Well, there's no explanation, no rhyme nor reason behind it. Just a curious sort well, of no. ra random amount of time. You know, what happened uh, in the last couple of weeks, what's become clear is, uh, is pretty outrageous because on, on a different side of the coin, if you're a Tory party donor and you sit next to the Secretary of State at a Tory fundraiser and you show him a video of your project on your phone and swap phone numbers with him and text him later, he'll rush through your billion pound planning scheme against the decision to refuse it by the local council and against advice of his own planning inspectors. And he'll do it in such a hurry uh, that you can save 50 million of local taxes uh, for the poorest borough of London. And that's just a different world. And, and I think it's wrong. And um, Robert Jenrick has got some big questions to answer. But, you know, I think this kind of corruption is inherent in politics. There was a junior minister spoke in his defence this week and said, um, actually, anybody can go to a Tory party fundraiser and try and influence the planning process. I mean, my God, this is what they think is OK. I'm just going to text Jenrick now, if you don't mind, Dale. <laughs> See what he says. Your extension on your house. Yeah, hang on. No, I was I was going to get that park going. Um, a mate of mine. <laughs> We'll see if he comes back by the end of the programme. Um, uh, let's get into some other stuff here. Um, Sizewell C, what's going on here? This is the um, cost of uh, a new Sizewell C, the nuclear plant, has been put up uh, put at around about 20 billion quid. What are you making of this? Madness is what I make of it. And the nuclear industry just published a plan, I think they call it 40 by 50, and they want 40% of our electricity to be nuclear by 2050. And um, they're forecasting heroic cost cuts by the time they get there. At the moment, um, was it Hinkley, for example, is 90-odd pounds per megawatt hour, which is more than twice the price of wholesale electricity. And they're forecasting that by 2050, if we shovel enough billions of pounds into the nuclear industry, we can get it down to 60 pounds per megawatt hour. It's an heroic assumption and still way above the market and still 50% more than offshore wind mm. is delivering now, not by 2050, but now. So it's pretty bonkers for the nuclear boys to come out and uh, make all of these claims and ask for so much money and support. And anyway, we don't need 40% nuclear on our grid because it's very inflexible. It has the opposite problem to wind energy. It's base load generation and you can't turn it up or down quickly at all. It can't respond to uh, dynamic issues on the grid. Um, apart from the fact, of course, that it's very expensive and it produces radioactive waste with a half-life longer than recorded human history. Uh, you know, there are so many reasons why we don't need this. Well, I would assume, given the kind of telephone number sort of figures that are involved in running, owning, profiteering from these kind of endeavours into the nuclear world, it's incredibly attractive for some people to advance these arguments. I mean, this is their, their business, they would say, after all. Does that then become a battle between your world and their world when it comes to the environment departments and uh, the kind of energy debates? Yeah, I think it always has been, and I think there's a degree to which the Conservative Party is seduced by the notion of big business, big, complicated, technical stuff like nuclear and big industries like the fossil fuel industry. And, and by contrast, renewables are very simple, 
very clean and actually the cheapest. And that doesn't appeal to them. And I don't understand why, but it must be something in their makeup uh, that they prefer the uh, uber technical, uber expensive solutions like nuclear to uh, the here and now cheap and cheerful renewable energy. Yeah. It's interesting because we talked on the last episode about uh, the kind of record-breaking coal-free run we've just had. Has that kind of come to a stop? Yeah, in the most unfortunate of circumstances, we have Drax to thank for it. They fired up one of the... Just explain who Drax are. This is the the, the Yorkshire company, right? Yeah, Drax is a massive ex-coal power station. It's it's mostly ex-coal. They've started burning 150-year-old trees instead and calling it green and sucking in 1.3 billion of public money to support that, which is an outrage. But they've got some coal-guzzling furnaces left, and they fired one up just for maintenance purposes and put coal onto the grid and broke the two-month run wow. <laughs> out of them. Did they not realise what they were doing? Did somebody Maybe was, they was did. A, I, I have an image of some kind of work experience running over the hill going, no, don't, oh, you've done it, just as they press the button. I think it's more likely they did know what they were doing and uh, that, you know, they weren't happy to see these headlines of the coal-free run that we were having and predictions of the end of coal and stuff. So they just broke it, just fired it up and uh, can't talk about it now, can we? Because it's stopped. Just on that point about, um, I I hear this in lots of areas, the word renewable um, has to be and must be scrutinised when a company throws that word in. Uh, There is many examples and reasons to be suspicious when somebody says this is renewable regardless of what they're talking about yeah and Drax have been a good example of that lately there was a press report a couple of weeks ago that said the material that they're burning uh, is, is known as biomass it's organic material in this case it was wood waste from some kind of forestry activity the report said actually it's from trees that take 150 years to regrow Now, Drax are claiming that they're carbon neutral when they burn this wood waste uh, because trees are carbon neutral because you can grow them again. But a 150-year period is nonsense. We've got to become zero carbon in, you know, the next 10, uh, 20 at the most. So 150 years is a joke. And we put it to Drax uh, over social media. We said, is this true, guys? And they started sending out a succession of uh, non-answers of uh, PR kind of um, videos and and puff pieces really around what they do but they wouldn't answer the direct question are you burning trees that take 150 years to regrow yeah. so we have to assume the fact is they are and they're, they're shipped all the way from america so there's I mean, that they're, too they're, you have to question it i mean it's well you don't have to question it. it it's obviously wrong it's fake it's not green energy it's not carbon neutral and and it's just business as usual you know instead of burning coal they're burning trees yeah I mean, it, it, it's almost a case for keeping up that question on a weekly basis, isn't it, uh, to, to them, just to see if you do eventually get a reply. Maybe, I know maybe not... firing up their coal station was the answer. That was the kind of middle finger to us. They're like, yeah, here we go. <laughs> uh, here's a question from Amy on Twitter. Um, I agree with not eating animals, but how on earth can you support PETA? Um, this, of course, is the, uh, the, the animal rights campaign group. I don't know why well, Amy is um, not enamoured with Peter. What, what, what could they have done to upset somebody? Yeah, they, they do seem to have upset a few people. I see that on social media whenever they run a campaign. Um, uh, you know, we often join in and, and you get people saying, yeah, yeah, but not, not Peter. And, and I don't understand why. I think 
for some people, um, they're just a little bit too extreme in what they say and what they do. But, you know, I mean, Peter about, about animal protection. Peter don't eat animals either. Um, so yeah. in this particular case, they began a campaign for the, uh, the law to change. At the moment, the law obliges schools in England, uh, I don't know if it's the whole country, but definitely in England, to put meat and dairy on the menu uh, like every day of the week. It's by law. And they started a campaign to say, you know, that shouldn't be that way. Schools should be able to set their own menus. And as long as it's, uh, you know, nutritionally complete, that should be fine. I agree with that. So we supported that. And I don't understand uh, opposition to that, that campaign. They came to prominence, really. It was the fur campaign. Remember that? There was the famous catwalk ad they had a few years mm. ago where you, you had this kind of bloody scene on a catwalk as models were wearing items of fur. And I think that, that to me, I, I remember that sort of putting them very much on the map as an organisation. Yeah, they're provocative. And I think for some people, they sensationalise issues and, uh, and that kind of stuff, and they don't like it. But, you know, what actually happens in fur farms, what actually happens in factory farms is is abominable Mm. and uh, you know i I think sticking this in front of people is justifiable actually here's another point we we just sort of touched on this but i think we should just go back to it a little bit about the costs involved in offshore we're talking wind farms here of course just a report that this week raised the issue of the fact that offshore wind farms being constructed in uk waters will produce electricity more cheaply for the next generation than that of nuclear uh, power stations. I mean, is that based, as far as you know, on what we already have, or if we increase the amount of offshore we have? That's no, based on what's happening now. So offshore now is half the price or less, in fact, quite a bit less than Hinkley, which is being built now and might be ready in 10 years' time if we're unlucky. Uh, if we're lucky, we won't ever be ready. <laughs> but um, so offshore wind is at this £40 threshold now. Hinkley's 96 or 97 or something like that. And the nuclear boys have just said, you know, give us tens of billions of pounds and we can get nuclear to 60 pounds in like uh, 30 years. Well, big whoop, uh, because offshore's here and now mm. 40 pounds and, and that's just going to go down. So, you know, the whole thing is incredible to me that, you know, these guys are even trying. But, you know, they'll be well connected. Uh, the nuclear industry will be, has been lobbying for years. I went to Kyoto in 1997 to the fourth climate conference of the UN where the world's first climate targets were agreed and the nuclear boys were there then with a big stand lobbying the UN delegates uh, for the role of nuclear uh, in the fight against climate change a well organized well funded yeah, yeah. and uh, you know anything uh, you, you can't do effectively is build a nuclear power station yeah and, and you have to indeed without without uh, asking for other people's money in doing well, so going but well over budget i mean yeah, indeed the nuclear power stations yeah. around the world there isn't a single one that's come in on budget or on time Interesting. i mean the guys building hinkley have yet to build one anywhere in the world they're like 10 20 years overdue billions of pounds overdue in in france wow. uh, in other other countries so the chance of finishing hinkley um, you know, anytime soon, I think are quite slim. Let's hear from our friend Donald Trump. COVID, COVID 19, COVID. There's never been anything where they have so many names. I could give you 19 or 20 names for that, right? It's got all different names Wuhan. Now, Wuhan was catching on. Coronavirus, right? Kung flu, yeah. For some reason, he, he keeps coming back to this 
Kung flu thing, that, that the more he's told that it's not only inaccurate, but it's also a bit offensive as well, not very nice. It's a generalization. It's, you know, it's got all of these facets to it. But the more Trump is told these things, he kind of doubles down and increases the amount of time he does it. Yeah, I, I think for Trump, the reaction is how he measures success. Doesn't matter if it's good or a bad reaction, as long as he's getting one, he's being successful. And China are the new villain for him. In this election in November, uh, it'll, it'll be China. The big focus will be on uh, economics, the virus, the security threat, all aspects of China. Last election, it was about Mexican rapists and immigrants and, need, and the need for a wall on the southern border, which didn't get built, by the way. Um, the coming election's all gonna be about China. Hmm. Uh, it's just the way the man rolls. Yeah, indeed. Question from Paul on Facebook. Tramir fan here. I didn't like you until I had this podcast, Dale. Uh, it's got me into some of the big debates, however, on your Facebook page. What's your biggest fear about the future, the planet that is not Tranmere? <laughs> well, thanks, Paul. You've got uh, no Tranmere fears, I'm sure. No, but that's good to hear. You know, because I'm not, I'm not anti-Tranmere, but I'm pro all of these, uh, these environment issues, and I think that's the, the, the much more important thing. Football for me is a great way to communicate these issues. So you know, been able to reach a Tranmere fan, uh, then that's that's brilliant. My greatest fear, I don't really have one. You know, I'm not, I'm not driven by uh, anxiety and stuff like that. I kind of just see the way the world is and I try to change it. Uh, but if you ask me to predict what's going to happen, I think yeah. that we'll be too late to deal with climate change and we'll have a massive impact from it it would be very hard to slow down we'll hit a tipping point and the economic impact of this virus will seem as nothing to to what comes and it might not be so bad for our generation but for generations to come it'll be increasingly worse i, th I think we'll just be too slow to react because we're the kind of uh, species that, that works that way and until things are really bad, we won't take something seriously. And, and I guess that's, that's my prediction. Not so much fear, because uh, I say I'm, in some respects, not bothered. I'm a bit of a fatalist, but I'm bothered yeah. enough to dedicate my life to trying to, to stop it from happening, if that makes sense. Sounds like a contradiction, but no, no, I, I got often it. feel like... I got it. Feel Let's like. just finish on a couple of food-related issues. Uh, pop star Lisa reveals she's gone vegan. So I, I guess in, in the world, if you're a vegan, you need high-profile people to, to, to help that... Um, that message along the way, Dale. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Um, you know, I think veganism is not short of high-profile uh, adopters and advocates, but yeah, I think it's brilliant. Uh, the more the merrier. I mean, diet is one of the big three issues driving climate change, and, and there's an incredible injustice at the root of it. 60 billion animals a year are abused and slaughtered for food that we don't need that actually is causing human health problems as well. Um, you know, something that we need to tackle. Mm. And your own cooking dalliances uh, appear to have sort of crossed the uh, the spotlight because um, we, we talked about cheese, didn't we, in the last um, episode? And, and I thought you sounded kind of you know very expert-like. Um, and clearly, I'm not. I'm not the because Thomas on Facebook says love the podcast. I was wondering if you or Mrs. Vince can help uh, during the lockdown. I've gone veggie and will transition to vegan, one product at a time. Um, oat milk is lovely. You talked about cheeses. Are there good substitutes for things like parmesan and mozzarella? Also, anything I can substitute single cream with as a cooking sauce? Yeah, actually, I think I saw the same question on Facebook, and uh, there were some good answers given, a parmesan substitute, single cream substitute, that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I think generally about cheese, like I said last time, I'm not like its biggest fan, but the, the ones I've tried, I think, are amazing. Mm. Um, and the thing about cheese I meant to say last time is this. It's just fat. 
and bacteria. That's how you make cheese. And it doesn't have to be animal fat, it can be plant fat. And sure. that's what's happening with vegan cheese. It sounds unglamorous when I put it that way. I know that it does. Um, but that's basically all that it is. And um, people recently just seem to have unlocked the secret of combining plant fat instead of animal fat with bacteria and making great cheese. So uh, happy days. And uh, yeah, oat milk, I agree. I think it's fantastic. I've, I've seen some single cream substitutes. I'm not a fan of that kind of food, so I don't eat them. But uh, they, they're out there. Yeah. Uh, and increasingly, everywhere you look there's a plant-based alternative to, a, to an animal-based kind of normal product, which is great. That invite from MasterChef can only be weeks away, <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. Dave. Yeah, I'm not sure beans on toast is going to cut it. But yeah, but I'll tell you what, you can't really beat beans on toast. We once did a phone-in debate yeah. about what's the quickest thing you can cook that uh, sends back the maximum results. And the, the, the main answer was toast. Toast, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> toast, is, toast is, it takes 30 seconds and it's really nice. But then, of course, you can put beans on there as well. So you've got a vegan option in there too, which is equally... I'll tell you what vegan. I'm a fan of. Go on. Uh, and, it, and it links to cheese. Cheese and Marmite toasties. Oh, my God. Do you know cheese what? Cheese and Marmite I, is an awesome combination. Are you a lifelong Marmite person? Yeah, I'm a kind of love-it-hate-it kind of guy because it, it, it bloats me because it's uh, such a powerful dose of yeast. Um, but I love the taste, and then I regret the impact of it. Is it fattening? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it's fattening. Just bloating. It's just like you know, just blows you up. Uh, you know, uh, like that's what's happening. I literally discovered Marmite six weeks ago. Well, yeah. Where have you been? I, my sister, as a kid, my sister would eat this stuff by the spoonful. Couldn't stand it. Whacked it on a bit of toast the other day. Thought I'm going to give this a go. I can't leave the stuff alone. I'm like a Marmite <laughs> botherer now. Well, there's a great alternative to Marmite, uh, miso, Japanese product, okay. fermented soya. It's savoury like Marmite and salty, but it doesn't have the uh, the yeast content. I'll try and get hold of so some. I, I might, recommend that. I might text Robert Jenrick to see if he's got some. <laughs> so he can do anything. Um, <laughs> Dale, we will speak on the next episode. Uh, Thanks, Ian. See you then. Yeah. That's it for this one. Don't forget, of course, to subscribe for free from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well. Really important stuff. Make sure you follow Dale on social media as well. Twitter.com slash Dale Vince or Facebook.com slash Dale Vince. Zero. Carbon. East off.